Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, January 18th. In today's news, President Trump plans to offer clemency to more than 100 people. So many people have died in Los Angeles because of COVID that they've had to lift air quality regulations to increase the number of cremations. And global pressure mounts for the release of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. But first, the big idea. Top U.S. defense officials say that the federal government is conducting insider threat screening on all 25,000 National Guard troops who have flowed into our nation's capital to secure the inauguration. This extra precaution comes as concerns intensify about right-wing pro-Trump extremism in the ranks. Many of the rioters involved in storming the Capitol on January 6th turn out to have extensive military ties. Paul Sonny, Dan Lamoth, and Missy Ryan report that the Army is working closely with the FBI to vet all service members supporting the inauguration. The Army is also working in consultation with the Secret Service to determine which service members in D.C. right now require deeper levels of screening or should be moved away from places where President-elect Joe Biden will be nearby as a precautionary measure. Major General William Walker, the commanding general of the D.C. National Guard, says the screening represents what he calls an extra layer of security for the deployment, on top of what he says is continuous monitoring that the military does on service members. Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy, who's overseeing the D.C. Guard and the military's preparations for the inauguration, said in an interview last night with the Associated Press that so far, the vetting process has not flagged any issues with the troops who are in town to protect the new president. But two Pentagon sources tell us that the DOD received 143 notifications last year from the FBI of extremism-related probes, 68 of which were related to suspected domestic extremism among current and former service members. This category includes white nationalism, anti-fascism, anti-abortion activism, and anti-government beliefs. FBI agents are working around the clock to pursue alleged members of right-wing extremist groups who were involved in the January 6th events, and they appear to be putting a special emphasis on getting people who have military training that could make them more dangerous. An Army reservist with a security clearance and a long record of posting his extremist views online was charged Sunday with breaching the Capitol. An FBI informant relayed that he is an avowed white supremacist and Nazi sympathizer. Also on Sunday, authorities rounded up the alleged leader of a Colorado paramilitary training group and two ex-military militia members from Ohio. All were charged with allegedly taking part in the breach of the Capitol. So were Marine veteran Donovan Crowell and Army veteran Jessica Watkins. A bartender, Watkins recently told the Ohio Capitol Journal that she formed the Ohio State Regular Militia in 2019. The FBI says that group is a unit of the Oath Keepers. The FBI says Watkins posted on Parlor a photograph of herself in uniform on January 6th. And you really cannot make this stuff up. Allegedly, she literally posted, quote, Here's a picture of me before forcing entry into the Capitol building. The Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, and the Proud Boys, the male chauvinist group with ties to white nationalism, have drawn particular attention from the Sedition Task Force 
that's investigating the attack on our temple of democracy. They're working three shifts a day to determine whether these groups organized, coordinated, and directed in advance the violence to block certification of Biden's victory. Officials say the Proud Boys in particular are an important focus of the FBI investigation. Now, the three percenters formed in 2008, their name comes from the totally bogus claim that only 3% of the population fought against the British in the American Revolution. Overall, the Justice Department has now charged about 100 individuals. Hundreds more are expected to be charged this week. Many of those arrested so far have been what one senior law enforcement official characterizes as the low-hanging fruit. These are people who were stupid enough to boast on social media that they violated the law. These are, in many cases, cut-and-dry prosecutions. Devlin Barrett and Spencer Sue report that the next phase of the investigation, the more important phase, is establishing conspiracy so that more serious charges can be brought against the ringleaders. Some of the men shown on video laying siege to the Capitol were equipped with handheld radios and headsets, and at times appeared to be working in unison on particular objectives. Larry Brock, a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, was charged after identifying himself to The New Yorker as the man photographed carrying zip-tie handcuffs onto the Senate floor. Brock was formerly an A-10 pilot who deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. He was fired from his job with an aviation training company two years ago for, according to his termination notice, threatening to shoot, quote, members of a particular religion and or race. Finally, the FBI is also investigating evidence that a woman who entered the Capitol stole a laptop and hard drive from Nancy Pelosi's office and allegedly wanted to sell it to Russian intelligence officers. The claim was included in a new affidavit describing the case against Riley June Williams, a Pennsylvania woman who the FBI says has fled. A manhunt is now underway. Fortunately, the protests in state capitals on Sunday were small. The overwhelming deployment of force scared many ne'er-do-wells away. Although Sunday did pass peacefully, there was no reason to think that the threat has disappeared, raising questions of whether the escalated response reflects a new normal in America. In the Pennsylvania capital of Harrisburg, troops took up elevated positions around the capital. Law enforcement drones hovered over the capitals in Albany and Phoenix. And in Kentucky, Humvees and armored personnel carriers were positioned in driveways leading up to the Capitol. In Georgia, SWAT officers guarding the Capitol were armed with M4 rifles and paintball guns. Sadly, if understandably, security restrictions related to the inauguration will prevent the public today from being able to access the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. Tens of thousands of folks usually visit the MLK Monument on MLK Day. This year, they'll have to watch some of his old speeches on YouTube. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one, Trump met Sunday with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, his daughter, Ivanka, and other top aides for a significant amount of the day to review a long list of pardon requests and discuss lingering questions about the appeals. In the past week, Trump has been particularly consumed with the question of whether to issue preemptive pardons to his adult children, his top aides, and himself. But it remains unclear whether he'll make such a move. Although he is mused about the possibility, we're told that no final decisions have been reached. 
Some advisors are warning him against using his own pardon power to benefit himself. Neither Trump nor his kids have been charged with crimes, and they're not known to be under any active federal investigations. But the question of a presidential self-pardon has become more urgent and controversial since the January 6th events that led to the president being impeached a second time. Carol Lennig, Josh Dossie, and Roz Helderman report that some aides think Trump faces potential criminal liability for inciting the crowd. Others think a self-pardon, never before attempted by a president, would be of dubious constitutionality. People familiar with the discussion say that many of the pardons and commutations Trump is expected to issue during the next two days will be uncontroversial, but it remains unknown whether he's going to grant clemency to Steve Bannon, his former top strategist, who was charged last year with defrauding donors to a private fundraising effort for construction of a border wall on the U.S.-Mexico border, or his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who has made clear that he wants such a pardon. The president has been besieged by lobbyists and lawyers for well-heeled clients who are seeking to have their criminal convictions wiped from their records, as well as by advocates for criminal justice reform. So far, Trump's granted clemency to 94 people, including 49 that he issued in the days before Christmas, mostly to friends and close political allies. Number two, more than 396,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus, and we could well cross the 400,000 mark later today. In a Connecticut hospital room, a woman less than 48 hours from death posted on Facebook last week, quote, it is now just a matter of trying to keep me comfortable till I pass. The day before Christmas, less than a week before he died at his home, a California man texted his daughter and said, quote, vaccines on the way, getting kind of close. But they weren't close enough for him. Mark Fisher, Lori Raza, Mark Kreidler, and Annie Gowan note that it took 12 weeks for the death toll to rise from 200,000 to 300,000 in America, but the death toll has leaped from 300,000 to 400,000 in less than five weeks. Beyond death, COVID's casualties suffer further indignities. Storage in refrigerator trucks parked outside overwhelmed funeral homes, funerals that must be closed to mourners, lonely burials, Cremations delayed by weeks or months because of the backlog. The pace of the death has never been faster. More than one in every 1,000 Americans have now died in the last year from the virus. A University of Washington model released overnight predicts that 567,000 Americans will be dead by April 1st. Total of COVID. But the number could jump above 700,000 if mask mandates are eased in the interim. Every death from COVID is at once a number and a unique tragedy. And each is a strangely distant demise. So many invisible deaths in lonely places. And while COVID is terrible everywhere, Southern California continues to be ground zero. As the number of coronavirus infections in California approaches 3 million, health officials warned Sunday that a new strain, different from the highly contagious UK strain, is beginning to pop up frequently across the Golden State. The Los Angeles Times is reporting that so many people have died in Los Angeles County that officials have had to temporarily suspend air quality regulations so that they can increase the number of cremations. Health officials and the LA County coroner requested the change because the current death rate is more than double that of pre-pandemic years. Hospitals, crematoriums, funeral homes, all are overwhelmed without the ability to process the backlog. Number three, 
On his return to Russia on Sunday, five months after he left in a coma from a near-fatal poisoning, Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny made it as far as border control. Before his passport could even be stamped, police officers at Moscow's international airport surrounded and detained him. He gave his wife a hug and a kiss goodbye before being led to a private room. The 44-year-old opposition leader's arrest was expected, but he chose to fly to Russia anyway, and a post reporter flew with him. Before his arrival, Russian authorities said he was on a wanted list for allegedly violating the terms of his suspended sentence from a 2014 embezzlement conviction. But Navalny and the European Court of Human Rights have called that case nothing more than political persecution. The move to jail him, though, could have far-reaching consequences for the regime of Vladimir Putin. Navalny says Putin ordered Russian state security agents to poison him with a nerve agent during a trip to Siberia in August. Navalny's team says the chaos surrounding his return, including the diversion of his flight from one airport to another after a mass of supporters gathered at the airport where he was scheduled to land, showed just how serious a threat Putin considers him. Navalny's arrest is expected to trigger not just protests by his supporters, but a strong response from Western governments perhaps in the form of more stiff sanctions. This is something that Biden's national security team has signaled support for. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, January 18th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.